Welcome to episode 436 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode 436 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm good. I'm really good. I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. I've got my, my, my Coke here. I very rarely drink Coke. And oh, that's that more I'm, me than you. What's yeah, that about? I'm going to be on fire for today's show. I've got my cup of tea. Good. Look at that. Got my cup of tea. And uh, the reason it's a bit odd for us today, guys, we're actually recording on a Saturday afternoon. I'm off to Auckland for a few days, which means... Couldn't really get the show done this week at the normal time, and so I, I messaged John. He came through. He delivered. He said, "I'm going to need some coke." Yeah, of the brown variety. <laughs> of the brown variety, not the white stuff. No. <laughs> well, I do want to watch the what is it? The Wolf of Wolf? Oh, you've uh, got to watch the Wolf of Wall yeah. Street. It is gold. Gotta go get that out. It's three hours long, though. I hear. Yeah, it is, but it's 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 an entertaining three hours. It's a struggle for us. You know, we have to start watching at seven o'clock to fit that in. <laughs> And the kids you know, get really plan the kids getting to bed and everything, but it's it's on the agenda. I have to say, I watched an amazing documentary last night called um, Tim's Veneer. Uh, I won't go into too much details now, but if if you want to watch an, an interesting documentary about a brilliant man who gets overly obsessed, watch that. It's brilliant. Anyway, I am talk is proudly brought to you by Coffees of Hawaii. Should be drinking coffee, not tea, right now, Jumbo. Should athletes dot com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Um, your lactic buffer. And SLS try. One of the best triathlon gear in the world. Jumbo. Mm-hmm. I was listening, someone made a comment the other day which made me go back and listen to episode one of Iron Man Talk. And uh, it was a bit of a funny listen. It was, it was quite funny listening back. But at that time, they had just announced the Queenstown half, I mean, the Queenstown Iron Distance Race, which was obviously turned into Channel and Juanica. But one thing that you talked about in in um, your thoughts about the race was that they were going to do a Teams event and you said, I think if, to make it work, what they need to do with the Teams event is one person does half the swim, the other person does the other half and then the second person does half the bike and so so it was almost like they tag in at each section. Right. <laughs> oh, how my thinking changes. <laughs> your thoughts on that now? Well, I, I can't remember the conversation but I think my rationale at the time would have been that uh, had they held the event in Queenstown, which was so Challenge Wanaka was originally going to be in Queenstown, the water there is Arctic, yeah. and you, we're, we're talking sort of Alcatraz temperatures, if not colder. And so I was thinking, there's no way in hell anybody's going to be able to swim 3.8 k. So I guess that was probably my rationale. It'd be interesting and doing the race like that, but wouldn't it? If you if you had to split the sections, so you went and started the swim, I jump in at you know 1.9, and yeah. then you do 90 k on the bike. It'd be a funny day, wouldn't it? It would. It'd be different, I guess. And I have sort of done events like that before, sort of some some multi sport events like that. But yeah, it would be it would be fun. I mean, sometimes we've just got to get out of this mentality that everything's got to be exactly normalised distances and all that sort of stuff. So things like that would be uh, would be cool. It's the adventure aspect of the mm. sport. Anyway, uh, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got an age group of the week. We're, we're Because we're kind of doing this on an odd day, it's a little bit out of touch with the news. So we've kind of doing our Q&A from Kona. Last week in questions, or the question of the week, we asked if you guys would be interested in any questions. And we've got lots of good questions, so we're going to spend a bit of time on those. And um, Coach's Corner? 
Uh, no, there is no coach's oh, corner. Okay. I just forgot to delete that out. That's all right. And Chris Liato. So when I was in Kona, when John was getting ready for the race, I went ahead and had an interview with Chris Liato about more than sport. So we're going to chuck that in there as well. So, Jonbo, what's happening in the news? Well, not a hell of a lot because today's Saturday. We recorded last Tuesday. Um, there is a couple of races coming up this weekend. And I guess the one thing that surprises me a bit is so we have uh, Ironman Fortaleza, which is in uh, Brazil, coming up this weekend. It's the first time they've held the race. It's a 2,000 point race, prize money of 75,000. Um, a little bit surprised for both this race and then we have Arizona coming up in a week or two's time that some guys, well, there's not many guys that are doubling up from Kona and just trying to, to validate some of those top 10 dudes. So, you know, the field's pretty pretty thin. We've got Aniko Lanos, who I can't remember if he finished Kona, but he certainly wasn't in the top 10. Um, I think he did, because I remember last week you mentioning his name, or maybe it was because he didn't finish. I can't remember. Can't remember. Igor Amirilio, uh, Amirilio from Brazil. He's sort of seated uh, second on Torsten's rating. And the rest of the guys, you know, you've got Pete Rebrusic, but the rest of the dudes are mostly – oh, Rosie's in there. Rosie's in there. Bro, good so that's Rosie. always good. Most of the other dudes are sort of second-tier people or otherwise they're Brazilian pros, so don't know too much about them. That's not necessarily to say that they're, they're crappy athletes. There's some great athletes out of Brazil, just not so familiar with them. And likewise on the girls' side of things, you got uh, Leander Cave, Erica Chomor, Jesse Donovan, and uh, and not a lot else other than that. So we've got f- about 20, 24 pro guys and 14, 14 on the girls' side of things. So I would love to yeah. know, with Rhodesie, is he still a full-time pro? Because he can't be making much money now, you know, like because he's not racing. We don't see his name out there much, and no. it's been a while it- since we've seen you know, in the in the brief looking that we have at results, that we're seeing the results. So I wonder what he's doing for himself. Ah, oh, Rhodesy's always uh, Rhodesy's a schemer. He left something going. He's a good schemer. Yeah. Um, so that's all we've got, sort of on the WTC side of things. Um, then we've got Hits Lake Havu Vasu in uh, Arizona, and then an Ironman, an Iron Distance race, Iron. Concordia in Argentina. So, given the lack of content we've got this week. Um, had a quick look at that race in Argentina and they don't have a it's third year they don't have a great deal of people entering that one but then I also thought I wonder how hits are doing and and we sort of look look at hits through the, the iron iron distance and thinking oh they hardly have any people on the races they must be doing really crap and so I just randomly chose a couple of hits races and I chose uh one from Napa Valley which they had earlier this year and then one from Ocala and um they're actually, I think they're probably going okay. Like the Napa Valley one, when I totaled up the participants or the, the finishers in all of their races, they had over a thousand people racing um, over that weekend. Okay. So we, you know, only you know, seventeen people finishing the full, then the half, two hundred nineteen. They had an Olympic, three hundred fifty-seven. They had four hundred eight in a sprint, and then that looks like they had some sort of beginners tr- race where they had about thirty people. Then at the Ocala one, they had about you know over five hundred finishers across all the events. So you know, I, I, I dare say WT probably aren't shaking in their boots um, on the iron distance front but um, you know if you're getting over 500 people I think it's um, yeah you're starting to make some inroads and yeah they seem to be expanding and not disappearing in a hurry well that's a good thing isn't it because we have seen some events who have tried to make an impact in the American scene really have no luck at all in the last kind of 10 years so 
good on them and long may it continue. Yeah, and they're, they certainly don't seem to have any aspirations about going after the pro market, and that's when, you know, if you start throwing $100,000 price checks around and stuff, that's when things start to get pretty uh, pretty tough. I think they're very much going after the participation market, so good on them. Um, Bevan, I bloody well injured myself. Oh, what you, what'd you do? Well, my calves have been tight. They're actually getting tight before current you mentioned, you mentioned in, in race week. last week. Yeah, and um, and since then, yeah, I thought, oh, a bit, bit more training, they'll start to loosen off. And the Philonator, first first session with the Philonator, I said, right, o'clock, right at 6, six o'clock in uh, Hagley Park, I'll meet you there, and we'll do our little run plyometric session, and got about 2Ks around the park, and my calf just uh, seized up, and uh, had to, I thought, oh, at least I can jog back, had to walk walk all the way oh, through really? Hagley Park. Wow. <laughs> So I'm in a bit of strife. So I've been back on the bike a bit more than what I had planned and been starting to watch the Kona coverage um, because they, they have all the Kona coverage still up there. So it's, uh, you know, if you if you need some content for when you're on the trainer, it's not the most riveting because it's obviously live race day coverage. But I've got to... So, so how long into it have you watched? I've, what, they're, 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 they're on the bike and they're coming... They're coming back towards town. I think they're probably the guys are almost at the airport, so they're sort of a good halfway down uh, the Queen K. Okay. And what I would say is, I, I feel sorry for the commentators. So I think Greg Welch and uh, I think it's Michael Lovato and uh, Matt Lieto. I, I think they they do a pretty reasonable job. But geez, the information they get fed is just rubbish. Oh really? They're just looking at the pictures. Like you and I could sit there and commentate the same way that they are. They're not getting fed any information. And I I really just think how hard would it be to have one male and one female spotter out on the bike, even if it's a minimum of one, and just going along, stopping every 10Ks or 15Ks and taking a split and then ringing them up and saying, this is what's happening. But it was just pitiful. Really? When you're going to the extent... We know that it's really costly for them to put on the, the live coverage, you know, in terms of beaming the, the pictures everywhere. And we know it's a really big production, but um, it's just surely you could have one person out there on a motorbike doing really regular splits or have some more timing mats just because the guys are just commentating on what they're seeing. And it's, um, yeah, they're doing a good job of it, but um, they just get, get crap information. I have to say, um, on race day, so, you know, like what we normally do is we watch the swim go up to um, Hot Corner, watch the cyclists for a while. And then pretty much I went and camped out at the media room. And, you know, there was a big crew of us here kind of hanging out. And there, we couldn't hear the commentary because there were just so many people in the room. But the one thing I did find a little bit frustrating was the length of time they let ads go for. And and especially, you know, Shepherds, it's an I mean, the, the changing of the what's happening in the race isn't massive. It's not like, you know, a sport that only lasts for an hour. But I kind of thought they're probably better off just to have short, you know, 20 second breaks more often than doing these breaks that seem to last forever, you know, and I don't know, it's just like, obviously they need to make their money and they've got to pay ads, but I think that maybe for every kind of five minutes you just did a quick 20 seconds, almost like you're doing cricket, where cricket, you'll have an over, they'll do a quick ad and then you're back to it. Mm. Uh, I feel that would just, it gets a little bit frustrating because some of the ads, you know, it's probably it's probably your normal ad break, but because there's a sporting event going on, it is a bit frustrating and maybe, you know, it's something they could think about. And my, my other gripe, and I, I know we always gripe about the Ironman coverage, but the the, the video videographers, the guys doing the um, the recording, they just sit on the person at the front the whole time and don't go back and film the rest of the group. It just like for for hours on end, you're just looking at you know uh, Keenlay, and they could be just turning the camera a little bit just to show who was behind them and stuff. But anyway, that's my gripe. 
Glad so it's okay, John. What did they do well? Let's give them some love. Well, that's the thing. I think you know. The, I think the commentators get given a bit of a hard time. Some people don't like Welchie and don't like the other guys necessarily. But I think they um, they hold it together pretty well. I mean, it's bloody hard to talk for for eight or nine hours. Yeah, so, um, I think yeah, from time to time, what they did a bit better this year was uh, they started inserting a few comments from some of the pros. Um, what else did they do well? I think um, they, they do a really good job of explaining the course and what's actually going on. Um, yep. So, you know, if you're just watching the footage, you don't really know how hard it is coming out from Kauai High and they sort of explain, right, this is a pretty difficult climb, this section of the course. They're likely to be getting buffeted from winds. So so those guys are all experienced racers out there. So I, I like what they do there. I'd be interested to hear, you know, maybe if someone whose partner watched it, you know, let's say you're in Kona doing the race and you've got some friends back home who know nothing about the sport – but they're kind of committed to watching it on race day. Maybe you can let us know their thoughts because, you know, we know the sport, we're pretty passionate about it, and, you know, we have a bit, probably a bit more of a critical eye. I wonder if the person who's never seen this before, what they thought of the coverage. So if you do know someone, flick us an email and let us know. Okay, Jonbo, you've got here, who retired at Kona? Well, I've got who did uh, more. Who did the Kona race retire this year? So obviously, Crowe, you know, he's um, he's pretty much said for about the third time he's not going to be back, and be surprised if he did. But I'm really, and likewise with Marino, I'm very where he was pretty staunch in saying that he's not coming back. So although we've got him in a tough um, moment. Mm. Yeah, but I'd just be interested. Um, you know, guys like Bevan Doherty who are getting towards the end of their career, and he's had a couple of failures there. Michael Raylert has had a couple of failures there. I was just thinking when I was riding this morning, you know, how many of those guys racing this year that either bombed out or didn't perform. You know, and Nico Lanos is another guy um, who's getting towards the end of his career. Whether we're going to see see those dudes back in Kona or not, so just a just a thought, Bevan. And what you think they'll do, do a bit of a brownie? Uh, I don't know. I just don't know. I'd love to talk to Bevan about it, whether he's got this driving passion to, to keep going back until he can get it right, you know. Took Macca seven times. I certainly don't think Bevan's got another seven times in him. But, um, yeah, just, I don't know. I think Raylert must be done and dusted. He's been, he's exploded a few times there. But um, Bevan, he's only, how many Ironmans he done? He's done New Zealand once, which he won, DNF'd once, two DNF's at uh at Kona and then a, another one in Texas. So what's that? Five five races, yeah. two, uh, two two good races out of five. Yeah, he's, yeah. He was one of the guys who I actually caught him coming across the line, and he wasn't interested in an interview at all. <laughs> it was, <laughs> fair enough, you know. Like some guys, you know, the last thing they feel like doing is talking to bloody me when they across the line. But yeah, uh, he was uh, he was pretty frustrated by his day. You, so you're lucky you didn't get a water bowl thrown at you. Yeah, exactly. I was. I, I kept my distance. I said it from 100 yards away. I said, "Over here." <laughs> um, random news. Other random news. So, a lot of you guys will will have seen the Kona volcano that I I think I mentioned last week. What's so the, the volcano news? is spewing out plenty yeah. of. Uh, of of um, lava, and I I wasn't quite sure where it was. I knew it was over on the Hilo side of the island, but it's um it's actually going through this township where we actually parked up and had an aid station on our camp last year. Yep. Um, and the the township that's about to go through is not that small a place. So I thought oh, it was really? this tiny little hick village, but it was a reasonable sized town. Um, and what I guess what's of interest to me is a if it does keep going, it's going to affect my camp in May, which is just very inconsiderate of the volcano. Um, but secondly, it's if, if it does go across the road, then that's going to cut the Ultraman course. So Ultraman is coming up in late November, but the direction it's going it will directly go across this road that it does a little out and back sort of uh, loop 
loop on and uh, will, will mean that Ultraman will have to change their course this year. So, yeah, just one little thing I've been noticing in the news this week, Bevan. It must be heartbreaking. Like, natural disasters are never a nice thing, and, and you know, obviously here in Christchurch we've experienced that, but when it's such a slow-burning natural disaster, oh. uh, you know, when you see you know, a month away from now that, oh, this might be a problem, and it's just kind of slowly creeping at your house, it must be mm. a horrible experience, eh? Oh, totally. Just, yeah. yeah. So time will tell how many people, how, many, how, how, how much devastation will do, but it doesn't look like it's stopping anytime soon. Um, also going to be interested to see what happens in Abu Dhabi because uh, ITU have now, well, it was announced a, few, a little while ago, they are going to have a round of the World Triathlon. They don't call it the World Triathlon Series anymore. It's, it's just World Triathlon. So what does that mean? Uh, that's, that's basically the, 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 the World series is yep. now just called World Triathlons but they're going to have one in Abu World Dhabi. Triathlons mm. it's about World Triathlon it? it really worked does it yeah where well, it used to be World World Triathlon series so people would call it WTS which is you know yeah. that kind of rolls but anyway um, they're going to be having a race in Abu Dhabi on the 6th and 7th of March and I'm just interested to see if that is going to spell the end of the long course race so the long course race is usually about a week after that um, now, and I, I, if I recall I think I think someone told us it had. Mm, I think you're right, but I'm not going to yeah, no. state that we're well, definitely 100 percent right. Well, well, that knows, was called Abu Dhabi Triathlon, wasn't it? Yeah, and there's no on the the Abu Dhabi Triathlon website. There is no mention of any race this year, no race date or anything like that. So if people do know, um, be interested to know. But uh, one thing's for sure is the ITU are heading there, and uh, and what I guess that means for Abu Dhabi is they always get guaranteed top quality field it may not have every single person there it may not have the brownlies it may not have gomez but you're always guaranteed to get a very very strong full field and you're guaranteed you're going to get international um, media exposure because it's always been live around the world it's on all the sporting channels around the world whereas the abu Dhabi Dhabi triathlon where they pump you know great prize money into it um yeah it's sort of got out and around a little bit but certainly to to a lesser degree to what uh, itu will be able to do so i i think we can Un, with you know, without any proven fact, kind of say it's not happening. The website is still saying March 2014. If you go to their Facebook page, they haven't posted anything since March. Um, you know, if they were going to be having the race this year or in 2015, it's November. Up, yeah, it'd be up there by now. So I, I can say we can pretty much assume that's not going to be happening. Jonbo, what race has been lost because of this Abu Dhabi one? It's nothing. It one's but uh, uh, well, you got me on the spot. I don't. I think they've added a race to the series. Okay. I think. Okay. It has changed a little bit this year, but I don't think they went and said, we're not going to do it here because Abu Dhabi have pumped up more money. I think they've just added Abu Dhabi and the other ones. Uh, I don't think they're going to Kitzbühel this year, I think. Um, oh, give me give me a second here, Bevan. Okay, because I want to know, because Kitzbühel was the hard one, wasn't it? Yeah, but I'm pretty positive that's not there. So, but that wasn't a part of the series. That was more of like a kind of... Uh, it was. So we, it was, oh, it was. One, one year. Abu Dhabi, Auckland, Gold Coast is a new one. Cape Town is back again. Yokohama, London, Hamburg, Stockholm, Edmonton, and Chicago. So Kitzbühel has gone. Uh, where else was there that was on there? Bevan, you got me on the spot. No, I wouldn't know. ITU. Yeah. I think they've added races. There's two, four, six, eight, ten races now. I don't think there was ten last year. How long do you predict before they have a world championship race again? You mean a, a one day? Yeah. 
I don't think they will. Ever again? Well, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't think they will. Nothing has suggested they certainly haven't indicated that they're going to. So. Do you think that's a bad move because it doesn't – I know you've got double points at the end of the year, so you could probably argue that is. But do you think it's a bad thing because it doesn't prepare people for the Olympics? Um, yes. Yeah, I think it, yeah, it does. I mean, guys are trying to be consistent through through the season. Um, so they are, most of them are trying to build their peak towards the end, but it's certainly um, – it's not like a Kona, you know, for Ironman athletes, a big part of the year is all about Kona. Whereas for ITU athletes, yeah, I want to do really well at the double points race and it's important, but I'd rather be good at five other races than uh, than putting all their eggs into one basket. So, but the, the you, pinnacle what, of the sport is a one day. So mm. you kind of think that if you're trying to prepare athletes for the pinnacle of the sport to have a one-day event each year, which is that Kona-type test, it would be much better for the sport and for the athletes. Well, that's generally what you see happen the year before the Olympics is athletes basically do a carbon copy of what they're going to do the the, the following year and try to get into that one-day form. So some athletes are good at it, some some are not, um, but you tend to see that much more. So what are we now? We're 20, 2014, so next year, 2015, when we're going through this, um, I, I'd put a bit of money on you know athletes selecting one event um, and really trying to target that and, and being prepared to compromise those those other events a little bit during the year. Do you think not having a championship event hurts the sport? Or do you think, you know, like, like, like I'm sure it's the same people are still going to be watching it, but do you think if you had that championship event, you get more interest in that one event to the maybe general public? I don't. I, I wouldn't have thought so. Okay. Um, I just think they'll just think it's another triathlon. It's a world championships, but I, I don't know. I, th- I think people are just as likely to, if, if TV's on and, and L- the London Triathlon's on, it's called the World Triathlon Series, they're just as likely to watch that as they are if it's, uh, you know, yeah. Edmonton and that's the, the World Championships. Um, so I think for the F, you know, for, for the pure athlete purists, we would love to see a one day world champion like they do in Kona, but um, they've gone for the, the, the sort of the, the series, a bit like Formula One and, and a lot of the other sports. So I think that's. Okay, the um, world one-hour record has been broken again. We are getting into random news, aren't we? We are. Matthias Brandel, who I've never heard of before, he rides for the IAM team. I'm desperate for news this week, just so I'd throw that in there. He beat Jens, well, we mentioned Jens Voigt, said it a few weeks ago, and it got beaten by 700 metres uh, in Switzerland, and the dude's just a 24-year-old Austrian, and, uh, and and the reason all these guys are starting to break the record is they change the rules a bit, and uh, so they're all going to give it a crack, and good on him. Last week on the show, you asked about someone being at a challenge race. They weren't racing. Mario Cipollini. Yeah, yeah. apparently he. I just saw pictures of him and I thought, man, I wonder if that dude's racing. But apparently he was just the starter. He was just keeping up appearances, John. Mm. Just keeping up appearances. Okay, so last week's discussion, um, we basically went to you guys and we said, what was, there was two parts to it, wasn't it? Or was it just the question? Kona, Kona highlight. And if you've got any final questions for us around around Kona, whether our experience, Bevan's experience, my experience, and uh, and your highlights of the the Kona day. Okay, so basically, what we're going to do right now is kind of answer the questions. So first of all, um, Mike um, Urchin, I'll say um, his question was for me. Do you think you'll make your Project Twenty Fifteen announcement, or when do you think you'll do that? Uh, you know, it's your turn. To be honest. Can't see me doing an Ironman for a few yeah, years. Have you got any any plans for 2015? <laughs> Do you know what? I've been able to run for about three weeks consistently without knee problems, and so um, my goal was to get through the end of 2014 consistently running, 
and I'm talking like nothing more than 90 minutes, um, but mainly 30 to 40 minutes, and then hopefully be able to set some run goals for next year. Um, Long term, I think if I gave up group fitness, which is probably... Oh, probably another five, seven years away for me. I may look at getting back into triathlon, um, and that might get plant the seed to do an Ironman. But 2015, can't see much happening on the Ironman front. A, how about a marathon though? I'm, I'm look. I'm thinking marathon for me next year. Yeah, I, I, one year plan. Me and you, Auckland marathon, head to head. You take me out. Like I'm not there. Like I'm. Like I haven't ran in eighteen months, so we can set up some sort of handicap system. Okay, I, I, I'll give you that. I mean, I've been doing more the last few years, so we can. We can set up some handicap. Auckland Marathon gives you one year. It's one year to tomorrow. One year. Well, I tell you what, let's make the decision early next year because I just want to. I don't want to put any unnecessary pressure on my running right now. I just want to get conditioned. <laughs> At least you can run. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That's the thing. But yeah. So okay, maybe we'll have some kind of challenge next year. But I'm in unless something really crazy happens. That ain't happening in the next few years of my life. Brian Dunn, some people are nasty. Brian enjoyed his highlight was the Newsome implosion. That's not nice, laughing at other people's expense. I know, mate. Where's the love? Sherry Lutz has got, after Sebastian Kenley crossed the finish line, Mike Riley approached him for a few words. I can't remember what Mike asked him, but Kenley's first words after winning the Ironman Championships were, I fucking can't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) The look on um, Mike Riley's face was priceless. Kenley, Kenley does like to swear. Yeah, oh, and it's great when they can't edit it. You know, it's live, yeah. live broadcast. I bet you that doesn't make the, uh, the the NBC coverage, but that's gold. We have talked about this, but I do think Keenley was the best character for us to mm. win the sport. You know, like absolutely. He's, you know, he's a good. He's you know, like um, he's just he's he's got something that's really good for the sport. Mm. Richard Hayden Lewis, best moment, uh, all 10 hours and 8 minutes of my race, followed by the 14 days I spent on the island afterwards. Question for John, were you over-fatigued, um, over-trained, fatigued, epic camp, marathon three weeks out, and then ride the course the week before? Few of us thought you would be, and then if our coaches, I'm self-coached, were giving us that volume prior to the race, um, we would question it. Great to meet you both and to be interviewed for the Kona show. So question whether I thought I was fatigued, uh, not really. I mean, um, I was on, you know, having some fantastic sessions leading into the race. Um, didn't feel smoked or anything. You know, the weekend before, having, you know, had some great, great workouts. When we rode the course, it was really easy. So certainly going into the race, I didn't feel like I was smoked. You know, my issue was a nutritional issue. It wasn't the case of uh, freshness. Hindsight, you know, I potentially could have changed things a little bit and been a little bit um, more controlled in that sort of final 10 days uh, 10 12 days where we did do quite a bit so that may have had a small influence well, but you think, you think you went a little bit hard there not a little bit hard but you know we went fairly long um and it's you know two two-sided thing you know we, yeah. we got better acclimatized but um may have had a small factor but i certainly i don't think that was a major factor it was just for me nutritional issue john people aren't giving you much love tucker mckeever kiever i say god Seen John get checked many, many, many times. Yeah. And even if I'd had a great race, I still would have got checked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, I'd had a, if I'd had a solid race, I think I probably would have been about where I predicted, you know, sort of maybe maybe top five girls. Um, so, but certainly uh, there's no way I would have gone, you know, Rennie went nine hours flat and there's no way uh, even if I'd had my best possible race that I would have gone okay. nine hours flat. Stupid, annoying question. Chrissy comes back from retirement now, says she's going to race next year. Who wins? Uh, and if she raced next year, I'd say probably if if um, she's got now, Rennie, she's got if, if, Rennie, 
if Rennie raced the same way as she did this year, I think she'd possibly have her. Um, but I think if he gave Chrissy two years, she'd be on fire. It kind of depends what Chrissy's been up to. Yeah. I think people underestimate how much you lose if you oh. do nothing for a year. Oh, well, you tell you what, you do nothing for five years, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, even I remember, I remember I gave up, and I think I did one epic camp after I gave up. Um, I think I just did it or yeah I think I did after wrote I think I did just because I'm not sure maybe just for the show and uh, guys who I would, would normally be able to smash on the bike on the epic camp I was mm. like I was struggling you know and I, and I was still fit and I was still kind of doing a little bit but you know the the difference was quite significant yeah so yeah if she's been doing a lot I don't know but if, had she been racing in that race in Kona and she'd been at her usual Chrissy form she would have won that race pretty comfortably I think yeah Yep. Okay, Zania Morrison, the best. Another co- one laughing at me, Zania. You look out when you keep running past. She called me fat as well, Zania. Stop week. calling people. Stop being mean. She, you look out for the eggs coming out my window. That's right. She's got best Dakota moment. Was watching Phil Patterson on the tracker catching John in the energy lab. Didn't know what at the time John's woes with his stomach. Had vision of iron war going on. Yeah, well, Phil wasn't in his happy place either, so I don't think he took any uh, any joy beating me. No, but he missed you, didn't he? He didn't even realise he had He did. You. I think I'm, I must have been either in the toilets or something, or, or on the, I, I spent a bit of time just off the course a little bit when I was uh, letting my guts hang out. Um, so, yeah, I don't think Phil got a lot of satisfaction. It's different. When you beat somebody fair and square, yeah. head-to-head, both going pretty well, then he would have got a lot of satisfaction. Um, but, yeah, he didn't. Chrissy McKinlay's highlight, Ben Hoffman's second place. No one picked it. I like it when the underdogs come out on top. Plus, he has a bacon company as a sponsor. That which is pretty cool. That's pretty good. And that was a great result from him. Uh, Stephen, how does that one? Pat? Eight. Pate. Um, Rennie's run, and I think most of us would agree with that. And also, Starkwitz not winning, a little arrogant. <laughs> yeah. People give Starky a hard time, and he's different, but I think he's great. I do. He's just, he's different, and he he's believes a little in himself, bit odd. Um, but I think, you know, you've got, I mean, I'm probably guilty of it as well. I sort of put out there what I expected to do, and some people would view that as arrogant, but geez. If you think you're going to do it, believe in yourself a bit. Put it out there and um, yep. put it. Yeah, it, it's a little bit of pressure, but he's he's great. Like um, like Keenley, he's great for the sport. Yeah, definitely. Okay, John, let's do a sponsor. SLS try uh, now. One one thing I would say about SLS: make sure you get on their mailing list. Just go onto their website because they have some amazing specials. I just got one through before a Halloween special. Then I think the week before they had uh, something like buy one get one free with their with their socks. So get on that. Make sure you use the pro uh, the promo code IM Talk and uh, also. You know, you guys going into the off-season, Northern Hemisphere athletes, if you're you know, thinking about next year in terms of maybe getting some custom gear done, then they take care of all the custom gear, you know, top-quality stuff. And the final thing about SLS is uh, they are looking at getting some IM Talk race gear coming in. I literally got an email in this morning saying, hey, what do you guys think about doing another run of IM Talk race gear? So they're going to do that. Um, we'll have more news on that in the coming weeks. Um, but if you do want to get some, maybe just go on their website, pop them a note. Those guys will be managing it all. We'll just, base, just be promoting it, and they'll do all the you know, all the sales and um, and send it out rather than us doing it. So check it out, slstry.com, and remember the promo code IMTALK. I do like the custom the custom gear I do. Like we've all got our training buddies, and there is something cool about even just little training buddies who get a, a you know a kit together – and go out riding together. Like you see it sometimes, and it's, it's I don't know it's just kind of cool and smart. And it's not that expensive these days, you know. Um, 
yeah, it's probably going to cost you more than what it is to go and buy a um, just a stock standard, you know, blue seventy or two times you or whatever sort of just try try suit. But it's not as much as you perhaps think, and um, yeah, especially if you've got five or ten of you together, um, check it's, it out. It's just cool because there's also that sense of community with your training group. So mm. check 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 it out, guys. S L S try. Okay, Jombo. Okay, we've got an email through from Alan Pope, um, aka Beef, and he's got just thought I'd drop you a line to tell you about a buddy of mine who has just completed his first triathlon. Now, I know that's a great achievement in itself, but his first triathlon was Ironman Zurich, and he completed it in 11 hours 48, which in my eyes was freaking awesome. Here's a link to his blog, which gives more information on his race day. Now, how does that? Dafford, 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 Dafford. I'm sure it must be Welsh. Yeah, Dafford. Dafford is normally found <laughs> playing hockey and was basically self-coach, which makes his achievement much more amazing. Hopefully, you can give him a shout out. So, John so Bo- I went and, um, I went and searched Dafford down. And what's his last name? Do you know his last name? Uh, give me a second here. We didn't actually get we that last name was not submitted. No. And his last name I could not find it on his blog either. Dafford Barry. Barry. And yeah, he went and did Ironman Zurich. Nice even day at the office. He swam 110. Uh, he biked a 621. And then he ran 4 hours and 14 seconds for 11 hours, 48 and 15 seconds. He's from Great Britain. He's only in the 18 to 20. Oh, he's 23. Wow. Uh, so it was nice. So he finished 22nd in his division, 938 overall uh, in males and a thousand and thirty in overall. What was kind of cool though, and, and firstly, his mate um, Alan Pope popped it in. Said, "You know, it's his first race, and he did a flipping Ironman." Yeah. Um, but the other thing was, he, he kept a blog and uh, really told the story about his day. He was also raising money um, for a. Give me a second, and I'll get Just giving. Yep. Just giving, and he was raising money for a school. I think it was in Africa. Um, so it was really nice, but I just picked out a couple of things from it from his blog as well, which which I thought was interesting. Um, he said, I saw some people in a pretty bad way. One woman looked as though she was walking home from the biggest night of her life, staggering around with, with without much idea of where she was. I stopped to see if she was okay, gave her my last gel uh, I had, and then pressed on. So that's pretty cool that you know uh, that people do have that caring attitude. It's a pretty selfish sport, yeah. but when you're out there and actually you give a shit about what other people are doing. And I had a similar um, conversation with a with a Christchurch athlete um, called Sarah Blair, who was uh, when she she raced in Kona. And she said, you know, she was on the run and she was having a pretty rough time and she just wanted to walk, but this guy was out there at the same time and every aid station he'd come through and say, right, come on, let's go, let's get going again. She said, I just wanted to walk, but he was just being so encouraging. I kind of had to keep him company. And it's just, um, you know, as I said, it is a selfish sport and we all get our head up our own asses and just plow on with things, sometimes um, take it a little bit too seriously. But it's just great to see that some of these guys have got fantastic camaraderie out there and actually rather than just thinking, about their race they do actually think about what other people are doing um, so good on him he's got a little piece here he's got uh, lots of people have asked how uh, how good did it feel however to be honest it was an odd feeling I didn't really have anything left my lips were quivering and I was on the brink of tears so physically and emotionally drained that a smile was about all that I could manage after you receive your medal you head through to the athlete area where you can have a shower massage some food and there is also some free beer a free beer was the last thing I felt like at that time so I stuck it 
um, some water and pizza. Looking around the area was an interesting sight. 90% of the people sat motionless with 100-yard stares and glazed looks. Uh, this is exactly how I sat there. No thoughts in particular, just exhausted and knowing that I'd finished what I set out to do. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it was. And, and I kind of could... I have similar feelings myself when you finish. You know, some I've never really had that amazing euphoria where I've been able to jump all around the place. You're just so smoked, yeah. and I loved it how you know you just said looking around, everybody was just looking into the distance, absolutely smoked. So he raised uh, raised around three thousand pounds, and for a school in Angola for Echoes of Service because I believe everyone deserves an education. So, well done on your first race, Dufford. Uh, you are our. Age group of the week. week. Love your work, Dufford. Okay, um, we're going to go sponsor. Athlinks.com. And I went on to Athlinks yep. um, to see who were the top Athlinks finishers at the 70.3 World Champs, which were held in Mont-Tremblant a few weeks ago. Yep. Had to scroll a little way down to find the first guys on the uh, the male side of things. But the first Athlinks finisher was Rich Burke, finished in... Four hours and 14 minutes. Looked like he might have won his age group. Uh, and then our second finisher wasn't even on the on page one. So we only had one male in the top 100. But the cool thing is, you know, uh, he's 45 years old. And as I said before, you go, right, if I want to win that 45 to 49 age group, I'm going to click click on Rich Burke's details. And then I can go through and see see what he's up to. He's ran a 16.02 for 5K. That's pretty handy. Yeah. One eleven half marathon. Nice. I'm thinking, sitting here thinking I might be a pretty, might be the business at seventy point three. I'm just all of a sudden realizing uh, how hard that's going to be when I look at Rich's uh, race details. Went on his page. Win, win, win. Wait, <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He's got eight results up there from 2014, and he has won his age group at every single one. Some of them are half marathons. So if you're 45 and you want to win 70.3 worlds, uh, that's what you're up against. And then, uh, oh, you go, you go, you go, go. Well, no, just so Amanda Woon Wendoff, I'll say she was the top athletes finisher. She did a 4.36.36. But if you go to the athletes site, they've got the averages for the whole race. So in the males, you got Javier Gomez took it out and he did a 3.41. But the average male time with 1,400 competitors was 4.52, which is mm-hmm. pretty good for an average speed, isn't it? You know, like when you yeah. think, now we know it's an elite field being the world championships, but probably most half distances, you'd probably say high fives, really, wouldn't you? Mm, you yeah. would. Just interesting also looking at the, the top pros here. So Daniela Reef took it out. Jody Swallow also did well in Kona. Heather Wirtle bombed a bit in Kona. Meredith Kessler bombed out. Mary Beth had a pretty reasonable day. So yeah, kind of interesting to see uh, what do what dudes and what girls did uh, did well both there and at Kona. And so it was interesting in the field as well. Two thirds men, one third female. So mm. yeah, yeah, that's pretty interesting. And the average female time was five twenty seven and the average overall time was five oh five. So athletes.com, guys, you can check out all these little geeky stuff and you can check out your competitors. It's a great place to store your athletic record. Jombo. Yes. We're going to go do an interview now. So we've got Chris Liado and I, when I was in Kona in the, on the Friday, John was hanging out with Phil. Yeah, as we do. As you do. <laughs> as yep. you do. And I was doing interviews and I managed to get about half an hour, I'm not quite sure how long it was, with Chris Liado and he's talking all about more than sport and uh, so I'm going to chuck that in there right now. Guys, um, it's Bevan here. Um, unfortunately, 
It's early Tuesday morning here in New Zealand and I'm up in Auckland and I was putting a show together before I go and do my work for the day and I thought I had the Chris Lieto interview on the little device we used in the race and unfortunately I don't have it here with me. I actually think it's on John's computer back in Christchurch. So unfortunately I can't put the Chris Lieto interview in today. I'll put that in over the next few weeks but I thought what I will do um, is to kind of fill the time is I did an interview on... Uh, Radio New Zealand uh, about a month or so ago about my book and, um, and I thought you guys might want to listen to it so I'm going to check that in here right now and it's something different it's an interview with a lady called Catherine Ryan and Radio New Zealand is pretty much like the NPR of uh, New Zealand radio so check it out and uh, if you do want to get my book you can go to Bevan James Isles or look on Amazon if under Kindle and uh, yeah have a listen to this Bevan Isles has worked in the fitness industry for 15 years He's been a competitive Ironman triathlete, runs marathons and has presented at international fitness conferences and coaches runners of all levels. Along the way, he says he's discovered that health and fitness isn't about a certain exercise or about being on the latest diet or buying equipment that promises fantastic results. Still got my Zumba tapes. <laughs> exactly. Under the sofa. I don't think they ever made it into the, the machine. Player, yeah. What's all that about? Uh, Sold the dream. I nearly bought. I nearly bought a Pilates thingy, watching infomercials a while back, and then thought, "I've actually got nowhere to put it," so that mm. didn't happen. Anywho, we all know those stories, don't we? Um, Bevan's concluded it's all about a person's behaviour and figuring out what works for them. He's written a book called The Fitness Attitude, about learning to love keeping fit. Bevan Isles is in the Auckland studio. How are you? I'm really good. Yourself? Great. Everyone wants to do it. Yeah. Everyone vows to do it. Everyone knows it's good for them. Everyone knows it makes them feel good. What's the difference between the people who do it and keep it up and the people who do it and then stop and then start or who just talk about it and never do it? What's the difference? Well, I, I really do believe it's a lot about the mind strategies we use. You know, like for someone like myself who has exercised, you know, you know, kind of extremely for such a long period of time, you know, I, I kind of know I'm going to exercise forever. And it's not because I just let, I understand the value of it. It's also because I've kind of learned the tricks of the trade. And the tricks of the trade are more about you know, the mind strategies that I've kind of developed in myself to do that. And for those who are listening to this who are exercisers, they, they know they can exercise forever. They have that thing in them. And that's always been my question is, what is it that people who do love exercise and what are those strategies and then how can we teach those to everyday people? How can we get it into everybody else because that's the problem, isn't it, if you yeah. don't feel... Well, do you know the really unfortunate thing is that most people, exercise makes them feel bad about themselves. You know what I mean? And, 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 and it can often be in a really damaging way. You know, like, like a lot of people, there's a lot of self-loathing because they're bad at exercise or, or their image and all, you know, there's... Gee, because I get to deal with some people who are totally new exercisers and... It's it's really sad the way they perceive themselves because they can't exercise. You don't look right. Yeah, you can't do yeah. it. And when they do it, they fail. So, you know, like the thing I often say is it's one thing to try something, but if you've tried something and failed 10 times, it's really hard to try again. And it's not that people haven't tried exercise. Well, they all have. You know, and they've all had intentions, but often they've tried and they've failed. So then the next time it's harder to go back. What about the rest of us, though, who want to do it, enjoy doing it, can do it, but we just... Keep it up for a while and then life overruns. This is what you're talking about. You're not talking about having a program. You're talking mm. about having something that is simply an intrinsic way of life. Yeah. Why do so many people not get that to the extent perhaps that they might like to? Well, there's kind of lots of answers to that question. I think one that's really interesting around that is that 
It seems to be in modern times that the busier you get, the more we drop the things that are important to us. So we all do it. You know, suddenly life gets busy. And what do you do? You drop your healthy behaviours. So people, you know, if we even want to just look outside of exercise, let's say suddenly you've got, a, you know, a week where you have to do 10 hours more work. Well, what do you do? You sleep less. You tend to eat poorly because you're not going to plan well. You drop your exercise. You drop all of the things that you just do. Just describe my election campaign. <laughs> exactly. Just so like let's that. Let's go for a walk. Just completely like that. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's an example, isn't it? And so, so... So what happens is you know, we're all very stressed. Like often when I do talks, I'll put your hands up if you're stressed and everyone's stressed and everyone's busy. And unfortunately, in doing that, we, we drop the thing that's actually great for us. Yeah, but because what we're trying to do is save time. And so save time is an interesting word, isn't mm. it? Mm. If you're in that situation, stressful work situation, long hours, whatever, whatever, you know you've got to deliver whatever your yeah. obligation is. Kids, you've got to get kids to where they're going. You've yeah. got to, you've got to let the whatever's happening in the house. I've got to get that sorted in. So, if you're going to adapt to the extra demands, does that mean stuff that we don't like? Like, you're getting up earlier then to fit your exercise in. I think, and is that where most of us fall down? I, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case because, like, let's say you're not a morning person. You're never going to get up to exercise in the morning. You're like, it'd be, it's a wise planning. It's unwise planning. I read your book. You were running around in the middle of the night, yeah. and the only other people out there were the dogs, and you said, now I know what the dogs do at night. They go and hang out all by themselves. I'm a nut bar. I'm all a right? nut bar, okay. <laughs> Most of us aren't going to do that. No, and so that's the thing is I think that what we've got, like, the problem is that people have these expectations around what they should do. So if I can't do half an hour, I'm, I'm, what's the point of doing anything? And um, if we go back to that point of, you know, looking after yourself, I think you've got to go, at certain times in my life, I have to drop expectations around what I can fit in. And then at those times, what's a, what's a, just in something that I can do? Something else. Last night, I could have got on a treadmill and walked on the treadmill and watched the tally yep. instead of doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm in Auckland at the moment, so yeah. I crashed at my hotel. Yeah. Lying back, very glad to be lying back watching the leaders debate on the tally. Yep. Instead of being on the treadmill. Yeah. Now, what's the difference between the person who gets their butt up and goes and watches the leaders debate on the treadmill and the person who, who lies there having a high knee and watching it on the telly? What's the difference? Well, I think they've learnt the value of it. You know, I, I think that ultimately when, when someone, well, it's hard, you know, I, I can't judge you based on what you did last night, but, but I'm sure you're very tired. And so it's really, in my book, I talk about the mind muscle, you know, that mind, your mind is like a muscle. And so if I go to the gym and I do bicep curls, my bicep can only handle so many bicep curls and it's just got to stop. And when we think about the stress of life, you're obviously under the pump for the work you're doing right now. So if you're under the pump, your mind muscle, when you get to home at night, there's no way you can do exercise because it's a hard thing to you do. You know what? I could have. And I really, you really? know, I could have. And, and this is, this is where you say it's about the mind. We used to use the phrase exercise habit, and of course we all hate habits because it suggests doing something we don't want to do. Mm. What is the mindset of the person who would want to get to make that extra effort, would want to get on the treadmill, would want to make it do it, in fact would enjoy doing that versus someone taking the easy out? Or the person who gets up half an hour early because they damn well are going to fit the walk-in. And, and how do you switch your mind? You've got it in here, actually. The alarm goes off, and my first thought is, I can't do it, I'm tired. This is your book. Mm. So what's the difference between the person who wakes up and says, get your A out of bed and go and do it, and the person who rolls over and says, great, another half hour's sleep? And how do you change from being one to being the other? Well, again, I kind of think you think it's the person who, who does that has understand the value of going to that place often. So they've done it so much. Value that, is a word you keep using. Yeah, well, because like for me, I understand the value of having exercise in my life. You know, I've done it for so long, and I know that once I start to slip away from that, I feel I'm losing something that's really important to me. So I've prioritised it long enough, and I understand the value of it. Whereas for the person who hasn't 
had that experience, you know, well, what are they going to gain from it? And often if you've never exercised, it's not a nice experience. You know what I mean? Like it's often hard work, you know, if you haven't done it in a long time. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it, the appeal's not as, as appealing what's, as a person who hasn't done it. What's the typical graph you would draw if someone is beginning to build exercise into their life or, 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 their, or a more substantive amount of exercise into their life? What's the typical graph you would draw? They start off all enthusiastic, they go and buy all the gear, they get the flash new shoes, all this kind of thing, they sign up the gym membership, and God knows I've kept those gyms alive without darkening <laughs> the door people. for many a year, right? Yeah. So what's the trajectory? You start off all enthusiastic, this is fantastic, and then what happens? What are the crucial points that happen that make you give up or pull back and what do you have to do to push through that and make it something that is valued and something that is automatic? So I've got this business called um, Extra Mile Runners, and within it we've got products for different levels of ability. So we've got this product called Get Up to Five. And this Get Up to Five is designed for people who haven't exercised. And we've, we've taken over a 1,000 people from doing nothing and to do a 5K run in eight weeks, go on to half marathons. And these are, these are like people in their 60s, you know, all ranges of people, big overweight people, all that kind of stuff. Now, what, we, what we've done in doing the creating a product that helps people who love exercise is we've made them successful along the way. And one of the biggest problems that people have when they first start exercising is they just plan really poorly. And so they have this expectation around exercise about what they should do. And when they go out and plan their first period, they set themselves up to fail from day one. You see it when you personal train. Like, I don't personal train that is, but back in the day, I didn't. You get a new client... And I come in and you go, okay, well, you know, I really want to get fit. Okay, well, what can you do? Well, I can get five hours in a week and I can do this, this, and that. And, and you know they're going to fail from day one. And realistically, if you could be a lot more realistic around your planning and how to fit things. So if I go back to your situation yesterday, if you looked at before the day and go, okay, tomorrow's a massive day on. I know, you know, big politicians and all this kind of stuff. But exercise is really important to me. How would I make it fit? So don't make that decision at the end of the day. because yeah, your mental muscle's tired. Do it at the start of the day. Or, or and, and, just, and, and just put in... Put in the plan in the brain, go back to hotel, get on treadmill, watch debate there. Well, maybe even if we take a step back further, if you'd gone, exercise is really important to me today, and I want to get, I know I can't do much because I'm going to be really busy, so I'm going to lower my expectations, I'm going to get a 15-minute walk, when can I make the work? You know what? At lunchtime, get out of the office. You are talking about taking control of the voices in your head, and the voices yeah. in your head do exactly what, because we all know this voice when the alarm goes off, I can't do it, I'm tired, mm. need to mm. sleep, too much on, da da da, didn't yeah. sleep well last night, kids got up, on and on, on, on it goes. Yeah. You're talking about taking control of the voice in the head, and what having a strategy that anticipates yeah. and conquers yeah. those moments. And, and that's the thing, is that like if you like uh, uh, people try to like if you're not a morning person you're never going to exercise in the morning mm. it'd be an unwise strategy so whereas if you know that at lunchtime you just sit at your office watching you know going on the internet whereas if you go for like uh, interesting I got a, <clears throat> a guy I could do a bit of mentoring with and he's this high end guy who wants to be a CEO so he's very ambitious works you know 80 hours a week high stress never lets work go and uh, and we're going well, how can we get some some mental relief for you and just uh, yeah, and and we've got him going out of his office at work and just going for a bit of a walk and seriously he came back to me and said i've been so much more productive in my afternoon is that a key people start off people have never walked much say start off thinking i'm going to do my half marathon i mean i see them when i because i do actually exercise i shouldn't make it all sound bad I, <laughs> just last night uh, yeah, no no not like just last night uh, i get frustrated with not being able to get the consistency i'd like mm. um but I do exercise a lot, and I'm out, outdoors walking a lot. Yeah. And, and I see these people, and you can see them, physically see. They're putting themselves through a program. They're aiming for something, and that's fantastic. But, God, they're working hard. And it's like they've gone straight in to do the half marathon. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, you're looking at the building, you're thinking, that's got to be really hard work. 
have they gone through walking? Have they have they progressed up to something that's going to be sustainable? And is that often a mistake that people make? They set themselves this big goal. They may go and achieve it. Mm. The question is, is that realistic? Well, the thing is, is are, you, are you creating a sustainable um, mm-hmm. behaviour? And so, like, if we look at what we do with our own business, we've got a 5K, we've got a walking group, we've got a 5K group, we've got a 10K group, we've got a half marathon so group. So don't start with a half marathon. Well, if you're totally new exercise, I wouldn't advise that. Oh. Whereas if you're a fit person, you may want to look at that. It yeah, depends yeah. on your ability. But what we do is we go, well, let's create entry points. So depending on what your ability is, what's the entry point? And then when we look at your current entry point, how can we stretch you in a way that's Enough of a reward, but it's not going to push you away from movement. Because what we are looking for is we want to create, like my ultimate job is to create someone who's going to love exercise for a long time. Now, if you come and you sign up to do a half marathon and you work half for 12 weeks and then never do anything again, well, I haven't done my You're job. You're using important words, words like reward and words like love. We often think, like even with what I was saying to you earlier, thinking about the strategy when the voice in the head says, have mm. another half hour in bed, it's going to be so nice compared mm. to getting up in the cold and doing mm. this. That's kind of the negative approach, like going to war with the head. You're talking about getting to a point where it is reward to get out there. And again, if we come back to that trajectory when someone is either starting to exercise for the first time or is trying to increase the amount that they're doing or the intensity of what they're doing, Mm. is that part of the trajectory as well? Is there a point where you get to where it actually feels worse not to go and do it than to... Yeah. Have the time off and, 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 and when does that hit? How does that hit? Well, I don't know if you can identify not, when not for everybody. Not days or weeks, but at what stage of a program? I, 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 it's really hard to kind of give an answer specifically on that. But I think ultimately what we can say is that one, there is a certain point. And it depends on the movement, depends on the environments. There's so many influences, kind of factors that can influence that. But ultimately... You know, look, you see with my runners, people join up just because they want to make change. But they don't think they're going to love running. They just want to make, you know, they often want to lose weight or they want to feel they need to get fitter. And they just see that we've helped a lot of people, so they've come to us. Now, at first, they, they don't think they're going to like running. And then about kind of, with the, by the end of their eight-week program, they're going, I can't believe I love running. So something happens, and it's different for different people. I want to but, talk to them a year or two later. No, no, that's the thing. Is in yeah. our world, that's what I love about what we do, is that we've got we've got people who've been stable for five, six years. Most of our people stay with us because we've created, like, with environments. I talk about environments yeah. in the book. We've we've created this environment where people can be successful. 29 minutes away from 11. What are some of those factors that aid success? There's, there's several in here. Environments is one of them. And, and what are you saying by that? Being somewhere that there's nice to be, being somewhere that it feels good to be, what? Well, when you think about what I'm trying to achieve, often when you think about, you know, I need to show willpower to achieve big things. So it's all about my character needs to, you know, overcome this this hurdle that I'm trying to achieve. Now, there's definitely some truth to that, but often I'm a reflection of the environment I'm in. So, for example, when I was a druggie, I was a reflection of my drugs, you know, the guys I hung out with. And when I gave up drugs, I had to remove myself from them. So overnight, I went up hanging out with these guys who always got stoned. They were good guys, but, you know, we're, I couldn't be in that environment. And overnight, I went from hanging out with these druggy guys to joining a gym where it was ambitious people who were trying to get fit. It wasn't hard for me to give up drugs because my environment had shifted. It was actually really interesting. After Vietnam War, it's really interesting research around this stuff. The American Army were really first worried about all the druggies coming back into society because in the Vietnam War, all these you know, they were in heroin, all the soldiers were doing these very hard drugs within the culture they were doing in the war. And the, the American army were really concerned about these people going back into society because they had huge problems, which could be problems for society. Well, when they went back to the everyday environments, most of them didn't actually become druggies because they changed their environments. And so when we're thinking about success, one thing is not, not my willpower is we're environments that 
help me be successful. Do we need to harness that? Because the if you go into an environment where you are expecting that this is going to be where I exercise or where I do this and I'm going to enjoy it or these are the people I'm going, I'm going to be around, do you need to harness that? Because the body and the mind just automatically respond. Okay, I'm at the swimming pool. I'm going to put my toes on and go for a swim, right? So you need to harness the environment almost as a trigger for this to become automatic and no big deal. Well, I think you want to be wise about it. I think what you want to do is, you, like, say I'm trying to achieve something. Like, for example, I play, I play music, I play piano, and I'm in a band. And uh, for me, I've got to put myself around people who are better than me. You know? so, and I want to put around people, but not just who are better than me, but also want to support my growth. So when you think about how I want to grow, what you want to think about is, what are the environments that would help me achieve my goal as best as possible? And then... Do some research on the environments. And like, if you could join my running group, I can guarantee you're going to go and come to a, and I'm not just advertising here, but like, we've created an environment that helps people be successful. And by doing that, they become successful. Groups <clears throat> committing to even one other person to turning up in a time and place. Very powerful in over, overcoming some of the yeah, resistance as yeah. well. What are some of the other, you talk about moments of motivation. And again, this is coming at it from the other way. Instead of coming at it from a discipline willpower way, yeah. which always fails when we're tired or run yeah, down, it's yeah. guaranteed to fail. Mm. It's actually bad planning. The motivation route, is, is, and is it seizing on moments of motivation when they present? What, what are you talking about here? So one thing I discovered as a fitness instructor is that most of us, when we first start out, are actually in a good place. So if we look at, you know, like if we look at when people go for exercise, at first, you know, you're probably pretty fine. But then there's a moment where it gets tough. And so as a fitness instructor, I stand in front of, you know, hundreds of people at times. And what I'm looking for is when is that moment when you start to struggle? And so for most of the workout when I'm teaching a class, most of the class is pretty comfortable with what they're doing. But then there comes this moment when they, when they need me. And if you watch a new fitness instructor, often they motivate all the time and they're actually not that effective. Whereas if you watch a, a kind of someone who's been around a bit while longer and have got a bit of wisdom around what they're doing, is they're actually searching for your moment when they need you. And then when they have that moment, they pull you through and take you to another level. And so if we think about our moments of motivation in life is, you know, for for you last night, the moment of motivation was maybe when you walked into the into the room and you had a few options. Now, maybe that, you know, if you'd had a strategy around motivation mm-hmm. at that moment, you the might have been The gear was sitting there. The gear was sitting there saying hello. Yeah. Yeah. So you might have thought, okay, my moment of motivation today is going to be when I walk in the door at my hotel mm. room. Okay, so how can I, maybe I'll text someone to meet me to go for a walk at that time. So you're actually, you're not waiting for inspirations of motivation. You're you are pre-planning yeah. them and making sure the signal, the trigger is there. Yeah, and, w- and what we want to do with our moments of motivation is we want to get really good at identifying when they are. So even for the person who's never exercised, the moment of motivation is probably getting out the door. So what are strategies that are going to get you out the door? Another one is very important also is finding your focus. And again, instead of just saying, I want to get fit or I want to lose weight, Wait, oh shit, you know, sort of might be in targets, but are absolutely pointless in trying to make anything stick. Mm. What is the focus? What, what is it? Working out exactly what this is about and exactly what it's going to be? What, or, or what it is that will get you moving again other than some vague end goal? What are the, what are oh, the focus what I'm, points? What I'm talking about there is that often we, we, our focus goes on to the wrong thing. So, you know, like a lot of people... We you, you're big on this. You're not impressed with the fitness industry's obsession with abs and whether you've added oh, an extra just, one and a half Ks to your bench press. It's you, pushing you people away. It's, it's, it's pushing people away from exercise. Like, it's, it's hurting people because... They, you know, not many people don't get six-pack abs. You know, like even even people who exercise, like I work at a gym. Not many people, you know, these people who exercise every day. Not many have six-pack abs. Like it's 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 a, such the wrong message to be selling. What we should be selling is that exercise is a really powerful thing for your life that gives you esteem, that makes you feel healthy, that gives you experiences with friends. You know, like we look at society right now. How do we socialize? Drinking and alcohol. 
I mean, alcohol and food. You know, that's how we socialize. Well, in my running group, you know, we have these people who make lifetime friends through doing these shared experiences that are empowering. And that's what exercise can provide. And for me, that's what we should be selling is that you, you, exercise can provide you so much to your life that is so powerful and, and so rewarding and just so healthy. It's just so many levels. Six pack abs is just such a. So how do you find that? focus how do you sit down and sort out a focus that is going to work for you and that is better than i'm going to bench press xyz or my waist measurements are coming down to this how does someone who wants to start something that sticks or elevate something that sticks find their focus i I think at first what you want to do is you want to um You've, you've got to find a way to get into it. And that's where I go back to entry points kind of idea is, you know, where, how do I just get the habit started? And, and at first, if like, if it's kind of in that chapter there where I'm talking about focuses, often what happens with, um, your mind is your mind will justify the thing you're focusing on. So for example, if you come and do a run and you think you're bad at running, the whole time you're going to be running, your mind is justifying why you're a bad runner. So, you know, like, oh my God, I'm never going to be fit. Oh, this is so hard. And so your mind would justify all the reasons, just focusing on all the wrong things. So what we want to be able to do is to learn, when am I focusing on the wrong things? Because if I'm focusing on the wrong things, that's going to pull me away from yeah, exercise. i tell you the reason it's doing that, because it's always looking for an excuse to stop. <laughs> well, no, but see, if, if, if I were to go to you at that moment and mm. I could come in and go, okay, well, let's not, let's change that focus. Mm. Let's say, if I were to get through to the end of this run, how would I do it in a way that made me feel good? Now, your mind comes up with different answers to that mm-hmm. question. And as an athlete, when I was racing, I w- the question I always had in my mind was, what's the best decision I can make right now to give me the greatest outcome? So it's not about how, you know, it's not, oh, my legs feel tired. Because I think my legs feel tired. My mind will go, yeah, you stayed up late last night. You trained too hard this week. If I say, how can I get to the end of this race the fastest way possible? My mind shifts to the, the behaviors that I can do right now. They have an influence on the outcomes I desire. Good tip there. Always, when you're running, always have a target of where you're going, not how long you're running. Because yeah. I can, uh, I can uh, guarantee you to, to get to a distance and back. Well, I think one thing that we want to do is a damn sight easy and say, how long am I going to run? Yeah. And then it goes, nah, just go back, just stop. You don't feel good, whatever. But if you're working towards a distance target, you know the quickest way to get there and back is to keep running. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing is, is that what we want to do is we want to, like, if you can, this focus thing is, is how do I control what I can do right now to give me the exactly. best outcome? Yeah. What did start you? You mentioned your drug habit. 19, I think you said. 19, we wouldn't have known you. Yeah. What was, was, what was life like? I was, I was kind of, you know, the total definition of the failure word. Like I, um, like I had no school qualifications and, and I had no chance of getting school qualifications. I couldn't read and write and, um, and I was very, went down a very destructive path. Like I, and the kind of personality I am is a 110% person. So I was the guy who was getting as messy as I could when I was doing drugs and alcohol. When I was the guy who was six o'clock at night was, you know, blottoed and, and I was always trying to push myself to the next level. And I lost morals and ethics. I started stuttering because I had no confidence. It was, <clears throat> I, I, like I seriously had nothing going for me. How quickly did you turn it around? Uh, I had a really bad LSD. Um, I had this experience where, um, you know, LSD is a drug which enhances your senses, and um, and if it's in a bad place, it's a very dangerous place. And I was in a very scary place one night, and I uh, had these hallucinations. I was hallucinating in ways that were quite scary. And uh, in that moment, I kind of had this epiphany about who I was. I kind of really saw myself for what I was, and. Um, and literally, a week later, I gave up drugs and alcohol and started developing myself. And it was exercise that was the path. Yeah, and that was the thing, is that, that exercise was this thing that came into my life at that moment. And 
the thing I'm always fascinated in is what creates a great person. You know, because we get people who are great at one thing, but then they're really poor at everything else. You know what I mean? And, and, and you'll see it with sports stars. You see the sports stars who had this amazing career. And then once their sport career finishes, it's like their life crumbles. They're ultimately just great at one thing. And then you'll see someone like, I imagine Richie McCall is going to be like this. He'll leave rugby and he'll go on to be a successful man. You know, Wilson Renneray, Peter Snell, these guys who were amazing athletes who then went on and had amazing careers and lives. And, and for me, I think ultimately what we'll do is how do I become a successful person? And exercise was this thing in my life that came in at a moment where I really needed some development and it showed me a way to be a greater person. And then from that, I thought, well, if I did this with exercise, why can't I do this with business? Why can't I do this? Like, I couldn't spell. I've written a book. Like, why can't I do that with writing? Why can't I do this? And so I always think exercise is such a great thing in our lives to give us transferable life skills. If you look at it differently instead of, I want to do X, Y, Z running or I want to lose X, Y, Z Ks, mm. it can be an entirely different beast in your life. Oh, it's such a great thing. Thank you. Uh, Bevan James Isles, The Fitness Attitude is his book. Thanks very much for coming in. Okay, Jombo, we are back. I have to say, you, you've got to give Chris and his team big ups because, you know, like, uh, that, that kind of work comes from just believing in the good stuff. If you know what I mean, mm. like you know, like it's, it's a, you know, like I was walking past the more than more than sport tent on race week, and they're out there in the sun all day, and they're just, you know, <laughs> just promoting a good cause. And those bags that they were talking about, they so you probably won't know, but what they were doing is that you could donate. I think it was like forty dollars. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was it was pretty much enough for a kid in Kona to have enough stationery for a year. So, nice. Yeah, yeah, and the whole idea is if you know while you're racing, you give to the kids in Kona and, and so on. And uh, they asked us if we could go along, and we it was after we had done the race, so it was after we had left. But you know, just I don't know. To me, in this selfish sport, that, that kind of stuff is what really represents some of the cool things about what the sport can do. A little bit for us can mean a lot for others. Oh, so man. good on, good on, good on, Chris Leader for uh, for yeah. Doing more than sport, Bevan. Oh, it's a beautiful thing, John. Okay, sponsor. Coffees of Hawaii, Bevan. I've got some more facts. Some oh, come on. Some, back some, to the facts. Fa- facts from we. Or some, uh, what is it? What does this one say? Seven things runners should know about coffee. So I'm going to do two today. It's oh, a good one. Caffeine improves performance. Caffeine improves endurance by increasing enzyme activity, which is necessary for fat met- metabolism. Um Basically, caffeine uses more fat as fuel. The runner's glycogen stores are used more slowly, so they last longer. Therefore, runners can run further and faster with caffeine, and the effects last from five minutes to several hours. Number two, when to drink coffee is important. The best time to drink coffee for a performance boost is an hour before your race begins. Also, I'm pretty sure that you'll have to go use the porta potty after chugging coffee, so giving yourself an hour is probably a smart idea. And that's pretty much what all the, um, the research is saying. You know, caffeine does work. Um, so get your coffee loaded up on race day. And if you've got any key sessions you want to get up for and, and, and make, a, you know, make a good go of it, I had uh, one guy I know. I was giving a program in this weekend. He had a uh, a one hour FTP or a forty k FTP test, which is you know balls to the wall. And I said you need to be fired up for it. Do everything you can to get fired up and be as pumped as you can because a one hour test on the bike is difficult. So I'm saying hit the caffeine, even if you don't train with music normally. Um, this is probably the one occasion where I where I would take music and just do everything you can to be fully pumped up. So caffeine is part of it. So might as well get your coffees of Hawaii caffeine fix coffeesawaii.com 
if you need the promo codes, go via imtalk.me. And we know if you've ever got any questions about international stuff, then uh, they're always great at answering. So check it out. And just for those who are wondering, if you if you are going to use caffeine, the, the, the kind of numbers you want is about three microgram per kg before you start so you know if you're 100 kg you'd obviously want like 300 micrograms of caffeine before you start so that's a good place to start and then you know nowadays throughout the race you can have your gels and stuff but coffees of why is the best way to get that fixed isn't it john it is indeed okay guys questions and answers we're going back to our questions are we jumbo we are we've still got quite a few to get through and that's going to be basically the rest of the show Okay, um, Christopher Price has got his highlight was Bevan's finish line interview with John Littlewood who wouldn't return the mic and if he has given his mates a shout out having two mates competing there was ace uh, Kinley and Rennie's run were awesome also Frodo's first time in Kona uh, Morton Norby Paulson he had a little link off to Cupcakes uh, with Cal or Cupcakes in Kona when they interviewed Michelle Vesterby um, after the race and I did have a quick look at that and they had a uh, had a, a no hands um, cupcake inning race which was uh, which was pretty entertaining oh, good times especially when it went up their noses <laughs> Darren Huff has got watching oh, I'll put that on www.imtalk.me uh, watching the start of Keenley Frodo Kono rivalry was fun, and seeing two Americans finish in the top four was great. But nothing beats Caffrey. Watching her hunt down the other one was white light. Watching the Terminator hunt down Sarah Connor, it was <laughs> unbelievable. Nice. <laughs> Although Sarah Connor did get away from the Terminator. Right, yeah. <laughs> Tony Hodge being interviewed by Bevan at the coffee boat and running down the finishing chute with the Kiwi flag is priceless. Okay, Zania Morrison would like to know what John's thoughts on his nutrition in the week leading up to the race and if it had an effect on his race day. Did he eat things that he wouldn't normally have at home in general training or did he have food items he would normally avoid due to allergies his kids have? That's a good question, actually, and I did have some different things. Um, you kind of have to, but don't you? You do a bit, but it's 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 something I think you've really got to think about for Kona because, uh, and this is an area where I could have done better. What Whether it had a big impact on my race, I don't really know. So, yes, my nutrition during the week did change a bit to what I have back home, um, and that's something that I would do differently if I went back again. In fact, really around the whole week, I would have changed things and tried to be a, a lot more structured in, in my days um, in terms of nutrition, in terms of just everything, because I found that, yeah, you just you, you totally get out of your routine. Normally, it's okay because you go to races two or three days before, and it's not too big a deal, but we were there you know 10 12 days before the race and just lost my flow and and yeah just i don't know that, that's one thing that i would have worked on so to answer your questions Anya, yes i did have some di- different things i had my bloody peanut butter i love peanut butter but i can't have it at home if i even breathe near thomas um, and we, we didn't get the cheap peanut butter john was going for the good quality stuff good there. quality yeah. bloody phil phil was doing his fry ups in the morning with uh, with his bacon so i probably yeah. had a bit of that but outside of that you know it was lots of salads it was the lava java salads um it was the loving those but yeah Good, good question, and that is something that I would change. Christine McKinley followed it up with, I suspect John did not drink enough on the bike, given what he said about feeling thirsty towards the end of the bike. I heard the water was pretty toasty in the swim, but yes, we would like to hear his thoughts. So I don't th- I think I, if anything, I drank too much on the bike, uh, and, and I think my main issue was drank too much infinite too quickly on the bike in the first hour, um, and I think I said that last week. If I was going to change probably one thing about my race, um, the first thing I would change would be to drink water only for the first um, half hour of the race uh, and then get onto my nutrition plan. Um, the reason I got really thirsty towards the end of the bike was 
just again a, a lesson that I learned is that final aid station is quite a long way from the end of the bike ride. So if you're going to Kona any other year, make sure when you get um, I can't remember the exact location of that final aid station, but it was quite a long way from the finish. Make sure you stock up there because it, it is quite a long way till you get into town and there's no more aid stations. And I was just hanging out for a for a drink. Okay, a couple of other people, uh, Justin. I mean, fit, fat. A fit, fast, fat brown. So seeing Justin Deer out there, and Carl James has our super specials. He loved them. Uh, Pedro Arca, I'll say. Uh, obviously, I was only watching. So the race itself, Kenley's performance. But then Gary Fegan being on the very beginning of the TV highlights program. So he was the big dude. He was, was right he? there. He coming across the finish line. I didn't see it, but I saw him post, post a, uh, a picture of himself there. Oh, that is pretty cool. Andrew Ferguson's got realistically. I'll never qualify for Kona. However, I'd like to go and watch. Is it a trip worth taking for the atmosphere? You can go first, John. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't think we're the right people to be because we've been there so many times. It's kind of, it's still awesome, but it's a bit samey for us. It's no, a, I, see, I would say totally. I would actually. Yeah. I would say yeah because then the reason I say this because it is like I was Dave Dwan. I was talking to him the other day, and he was saying, you know, do you still love going to Kona? And I always say, I always think because for us it's work. You mm. know, like as much as it's a really cool experience. It is, you are working and, and mm. you know, we've been what, four times now, maybe four times. Mm. So you're kind of, it is, you know, you know, the tricks of the trade, you know what you're going to be doing each day. And it's very much the same experience. Um, and, and the thing I said to Dave is you've always got to respect that you're the privileged person who gets to do what you're getting to do here. Cause a million other people in the world would love to be doing what we get to do there. But the thing is when you speak to anybody who's a spectator there for the first time, they mm. are in their element. You know, mm. you know, when we do the interviews and you speak to even the family members, are you having a great time here? They, even they love the experience. And if you're someone who have, has done Ironman and probably deep down, the only way you're ever going to get there is through legacy, um, you know, and that might be a long way away. I still think that the experience really delivers. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, Lucy Francis said, my Kona moment was me crossing the finish line, floating in the water prior to the start. I took a look back at the bay and the crowds, and it was a moment I'll never forget as well. On the pros side of things, Daniela Reef's performance was spectacular and gutsy. And then you got I'll, do the, I'll, do the, I'll do the next yeah, one. Yeah, you really are. Having, having you pat Lucy, my bum was Lucy Gossage, walking, and then hearing the, the next day that you ended up walking a wee bit later. Next year, we'll be back. So I, obviously we've had a little uh, – I've, I've never met Lucy before, um, but we've had a bit of tongue-in-cheek uh, through, throughout the last sort of year. And I know when, when I was running out on Ali'i, it can't have been that far before the turnaround. I saw, saw someone coming the other direction, and I was pretty positive it was her because she wears the Erdinger, um sort of outfit. And then when I saw, I sort of looked and saw the number, and I, I saw it was her name on there. So when I did catch her up, when I was still running at a pretty reasonable speed, just gave her a little slap on the ass, try to get her moving. Don't know if it, or I don't think it helped. Right. Um, but I think she still fin. I think she finished. I'm not sure. She, she did say we'll be back next year. Just. So, uh, Alex Paul's got when I started counting the Rocket Rennie out uh, she came up with her signature stride and blistering running past Daniela with less than four miles ago such an inspiration Man Sylvester as tempting as it is to take the piss out of John getting checked beyond belief the whole project 2014 kept me entertained all year and he didn't DNF you know, John Ellis has got for me three things Rennie's run Kenley's quote uh, after winning uh, you do not judge your life on the bad days, you judge it on the best days. And finally, following John Newsom through the process goes 
to show that it's not only hard to qualify, but also to execute on a day. Fun times. Mark Chapman, although Rennie's was absolutely amazing, I believe the women's race as a whole was highly spectacular. As the run started, initial thoughts was it was Joycey's, then Reef's, then back to Joycey, and then finally Rennie wins. Awesome. Yeah, and you know what? It's been like that for the last few years, hasn't it? Mm. You know, the girls' race has tended to be the more entertaining race, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Tryman Jack Scott seeing Rennie run down the nearly 15 minute deficit. Absolutely unbelievable. I also loved jumping into the water and watching the swim start from the water. That was gold. That's an interesting way. I'd never heard of anybody doing that. Yeah. Uh, Andy Heath, the pro interviews were really good, especially the James Karnama one. It would be good during the press conference press conference to ask the Ironman CEO about the lack of prize money. Maybe have a listen to, um, oh, you guys, we've got a Legends podcast out this week um, with the guy John Duke, and he sort of makes some good points around sponsorship and how much of a niche sport we are, and we're really not as big as, uh, you know, we, we always go, oh, what about tennis, what about golf? But we are very niche, and I think that's... Uh, I actually released it yesterday, so I'm, I released it yesterday, so... Check it out, John Duke, just for those who don't know much about him, John Boo. He uh, was now currently working doing the, for, for WTC, doing you know their global a lot of their global sponsorship sales and stuff. So he's very very well connected. And you know if you want somebody to get sponsorship, he's your man. He knows all the people, and um, yeah, he's just uh, and he's been around for a long time. And he in ran Tri Magazine. Did you say that Triathlete Magazine yeah, yeah. for a long time and had that very successfully um, organised. So you know he's he's got some responsibility on his shoulders to try to get those big global sponsors, but at the same time. You know, he made the point, we are a niche sport, you know, yeah. very niche. It's a really good interview because he's not – sometimes when you get interviews with people who have, you know, an insight that you'd like to know, they kind of don't – you know, they're protecting the knowledge they know and they don't want to share mm. that with you. Well, he didn't. <laughs> he just yeah. laid it on the table. So if you want to get some kind of deeper insight to the behind the scenes of the sport – Check out this month's legends. Um, Adrian Foifoi Moy has got Rennie's run standing on Huakini. He means no, Kuakini, but yeah. Kuakini, yep. Um, knowing Reef had 12 minutes off the bike, and then when they ran back up, it was 12 minutes or so, and then seeing the helicopters come closer and being blown away that Rennie was coming around the corner. Unbelievable. Sulikov Arnold, a best moment waiting to see the start of the Kiki Dip and Dash with my five-year-old oh, kid. Cool. And feeling the excitement and energy of all these kids, awesome. So I can't remember what they must have done. That were you there when they did that or yeah, not? Yeah, remember because it, it would have been Tuesday to, to take a kid. Yeah, so it might maybe, have been Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. But um, so if you are going over with the family, they have a kids race there, which is kind of cool. Question: uh, Talking with other athletes post race, uh, many many of us ended up having bad races, and the majority of the cause was linked to stomach issues. Do, do you know if the quality of the water is tested before race day? I also suspect that some aid stations may have been contaminated. Your thoughts? Um, got no idea if the water is contaminated around the pier, but I'd be surprised. I really think that the main issue is we just most of us that go to Kona um, are not for conditioned it. for yeah. that heat. And you're just just not used to it. So again, not, for us Kiwis, when we go there, you know, going and spending six hours in the heat before you even get to the run, um, and just having to to deal with that quantity of fluid, nine times out of ten, that oh no, quite a few times out of ten, that's the issue. The other issue is intensity. So yeah, I, I'd say. Um, I'd be surprised if the water is dodgy. I just think it's one of those races that's incredibly difficult and it's different. You know, if you're somebody who comes from from hot climates, it's probably nowhere near as big of an issue as it is for us that come from cooler places. Mm, that would be interesting to kind of. Uh, it's a, you know, what would be really good is if they had a post race survey 
where they could give, you know, like I know that, um, like John Duke, when he was talking in his interview, he was talking about how they knew, Reebok knew if they were working really well with the sponsors and when they had 9% of, I think, the running shoes in Kona and, you know, that triathlete magazine, how they used to have the stats of bikes and all the rest of it. But imagine if they had an athlete survey that you did maybe while you're sitting around in the background, you know, and just to get some real fundamental questions that would give us an overview of some of, some of you know, did you have stomach problems this year? Did you have mm. cramp? You know, and it would be really good to get that insight, wouldn't it? It would. I mean, they, they do have a, a post-race um, survey because I did it the other day and, and gave them my feedback. Um, but that's but, more about how the ra- event is run, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah not- um, Peter Colson's got a few questions. He's got, John, did you get slammed for taking your bike on Hawaiian Airlines? So that's an... Uh, you, everybody that, that leaves Hawaii or goes in on Hawaiian Airlines, you pay 35 bucks for your first bag, you know, 25. 7, 17 bucks for a bag and then 35 for the bike and it's very, very rare. But I fly Air New Zealand uh, from Honolulu back and it's all sweet with Air New Zealand. Did you get into big parties? No. No. Phil and I failed miserably on the party front. Um, after a few weeks of downtime, do you think you'll attempt another? Yes, uh, but when that is, I don't know. At this stage... I'm sort of thinking about 2017, but uh, it, it won't. It certainly won't be before 2017. And Peter Colson saying he did like the picture-on-picture coverage, so when you had commercials, you could still see the action in the race. Nice, Brett Samet. Uh, Rennie's run showed true Aussie grit and spirit um, to do what almost everybody predicted that she needed to do, but blew everyone away in the ease in which she pulled it off. She's becoming the Gwen Jorgensen of long course. Her competitors need to work out how much of a lead they need out of T2 to have a chance. Obviously, 12 minutes wasn't enough. Is her dominance enough to bring Chrissy out of retirement? I would be very surprised. But the, one thing is for sure is, you know, she is now every year almost – Consistently running that low two fifty, so two fifty this year. I think yeah. two something like two fifty last, last year. Yeah, yeah. The year before, I think what she had one bad year. The other year was two fifty three. So it's not like she just pulls out the freak run. It's consistent. So those girls, you know, Joyce who can run better. We know that she can run three hours flat, if not under. But that still means she's got to have ten minutes off the bike. Um, so, so they're going to have to keep going. It. Can, can someone tell us? Because to be honest, I don't keep in touch with Chrissy's world. Um, but I'm sure people in the UK will have a really good understanding of what. Because you know, I know she became a bit more of a, a mainstream celebrity in the UK. So can maybe if someone give us an update of what Chrissy has been up to. Flick us through an email and just let us know what she's been up to. Because I'd be interested to see. Um, Scott Anderson's got. I was disappointed that John didn't kill it after listening to the Epic Camp podcast. I was sure he'd make top five. Makes me question: Is Epic training really necessary to have good results? Good question. Um, so I think one thing about Epic Camp, well, for, for me, it gives me a really big, good boost in fitness, um, and and I needed that. If I was somebody that could train twenty five hours a week, uh, it's probably not going to have such a big impact. But I still, uh, I certainly don't think it smoked me. Guys that go really hard out for the yellow jersey, that does leave them pretty smoked coming yeah. out of it. For most people, when they come to Epic Camp the first time, the biggest gain they get is the mental gain, the mental gain of going day in, day out, getting up on day seven and having a hard day when you absolutely smoke. So the physical gains is only a small part of Epic Camp. It's the long-standing sort of mental gains that you get out of it. But in terms of, for me, um, you know, when I came out of Epic Camp, I was certainly in better shape than when I went in. Um, my form just kept accelerating up. You know, I produced um, the best time trials that I could do on the bike when I came back from Epic Camp. So um, to answer your question, certainly helped me a lot in terms of getting my bike volume up because we go through winter and our bike volume was pretty miserable. So certainly helped me. Um, it's not the... 
the, it's not the silver bullet. If you do an epic camp, you're going to have a great Ironman. Um, it's going to help your mentally mental edge long term all the way through for future races. Everything does seem a little bit easier once you come out of it. Um, and but for me, um, because I did a pretty controlled camp, I certainly did think it helped my fitness and didn't leave me too smoked. So, yeah, good question though. Um, we've got just a couple over here from Joanne Bexis. Oh, did I get? Yes, no. Um, she's got hanging out with Bob Babbitt and Bevan, uh, watching the F1 driver and double APUT Alex Zin- Zanardi. Zanardi cr- uh, crushing the race, meeting Gomez, catching off Terenzo, and being right about Starkowitz. And lowlights were the Carbo Night and Awards Night. Uh, Dull can't beat Taupo. Think, uh, did, what do you think of them, good John? I didn't go to the Carbo night, um, although of course I was present for the uh, the mandatory race briefing. Of course I was there for that. You know, yep. can't miss that because yep. it's mandatory. Yep. And uh, yeah, I, usually I actually kind of enjoy the awards night in Kona, but I would say this year it just yeah it didn't quite feel the same for me. Well, um, was it because like normally there's a big crew of us there? It was it partly mm. because you know like it was just you and Phil? Yeah, it was me and Phil, and we had a, we had a couple of others. And, oh, okay. Um, yeah, it just didn't didn't seem quite as good. Although they did have a New Zealand theme, which I quite like. They had the haka cranking, um, but it's bloody hard. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I kind of think they should. Um, yeah, they should have a party there afterwards and get a band up there and and have the party on. Do you on think site. people would hang around? Um, I don't know because it's such a big area. It is a big area, you know. Like yeah. dance floors, you know. Like you know, like it's, yeah. I'm not yeah. a yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like how could you do it better? Because the thing is, there's so many formations that have to happen. Mm. You know, you've got to have your awards, which is going to take up half your night. You know, did, who was the who was the Hall of Fame this year? Um, they did. I think they did that before the race. They did that. Oh. They did the three European guys who who were very influential in the Ironman races uh, set up over there. So I don't recall them doing any at the prize giving. Okay, um, and then she set up, Babbitt's, thank God I'm not racing on Friday party, uh, which is always good fun. Uh, yeah, so good times. Nice. Sponsor. Extreme Endurance. Bev, we, we were doing this, we're doing today's show uh, over Skype, as you can probably hear, and when Bevan's looking at my little, my video camera through, through him He's into my... He's got a my, shop out back. He's got the, the Extreme Endurance shop. I have got the shop out back, so we've got the... Standard Extreme Endurance, which is very popular. I've only got a couple of packs left, so that's, that's going well. But I've got my next shipment coming in. Got the immune boost. Keeps you healthy. Yep. Make sure you don't get sick over winter. My kids, I've had kids sick off all week this week. Uh, oh, Thomas really? has been off all week. Felicity had a day or two off as well. Um, so keep going my immune boost, and I'm sweet. Haven't got anything yet. Then we've got a bit of, um, what have we got there? Bit of Omega, Omega, the Omega. You've just got one packet, mate. You, seriously, you usually have a bell so people walk in. Ding ding. <laughs> the Omega keeps your, your your brain function working, and we all want to be nice, uh, nice, smart people. Maybe I'm not taking enough of that one. Oh, mate, you're smart. No, and then I've got the the Execute sitting up there. Love my Execute for just easiest way to get that protein in um, post training, and it tastes good. Just get it in with milk and just shake it up. Bit of ice. Oh. It's gold, easy way to get your, your calories back in straight after training. And then finally, I've got the Hydro, Hydro X in terms of keeping your electrolytes up. And it's just a really small dose, kind of a lemony flavor. Um, and then there is a couple of other products that I don't have in at the moment, the Gut Endurance. And also they've got the... Say something, Bill, and it's eluded me for one second. That final product, it's the it's the new one that I should know plenty about. Um, it's the one that you use all the time. It's really amazing. It's life changing. 
Uh, give it to me. Give, give me a countdown. Five, so, four, pressure's on. Three. Creating. Oh, it's creating. So there you go. So check it all out, xendurance.com. Use promo code IMTALK5 if you're going to the .com site. And Kiwis and Aussies, as we were saying, it's all just sitting behind me in my office. And if you want a bit, get just get in touch. There we go. Extreme Endurance, guys. Lock it in. Okay, Jombo, what, what's the goss? Any uh, so quickly sponsors are? Coffeesofaway.com. Makes you run better? SLS Try. Uh, get your team kit. Athlinks.com. Record your, record your legendary effort. And Extreme Endurance. Okay, Jombo's and your lactic buffer. So, Jombo, we got an email through from... Who did it come through from? You're springing this one on me. I know nothing about this. No, you do know about this one because I think you found it quite entertaining. Um, what's happening here? Email, 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 email. Oh, okay. This was from Adam Bardsley. Adrian. Good oh, old sorry. Adrian. Oh, no, because it's also in his email it says Adam. It is Adam, but you called him Adrian. Yeah. Well, yeah, well don't confuse me. <laughs> I know I stuffed up, but it's so because he, he he calls himself Adrian in the email. I'm like he's playing with me here, so I'm going for, I'm going for Adam. But he's got credit with credit due. He loves the shows in Kona, which is really great, and he's just saying it's good. But he was basically saying I interviewed his wife on race day, so I interviewed. I think it was when I was Australian with the Australian crew along Elihi Drive, and I interviewed his wife there. And she was real cool. We had a bit of a chat, and she and. After the race, he's like, oh, you need to listen to I Am Talk. Yeah. <laughs> and then what was his comment about you, her comment about you? Oh, he, he, he said to her after, when they're back home, she said, he said, what's your low light of the week? Of the kind of, what was your low light? Yeah. And, and, she, and, and she goes, it was probably not meeting John, was it? Yes. <laughs> nice. But did she make the cut? Did she, did she get on the shows? I, did you include all those interviews? I, I, I think I did. Well, I think so. I, yeah. There are a couple interviews – I didn't get in because I didn't realise I hadn't put them in, which I may put them in, probably I won't today, but I might put them in next week because there's a couple of listeners' interviews. That guy from Australia, there was a guy from Australia we were talking to as we were walking out of the the food area. Remember that guy? He was quite a nice guy. Um, and Ken Glass I didn't end up putting on there because I just I got missed. So yeah. I might put those on at the end of next, next week's show. So if you just if you did get interviewed and it wasn't on the show, I'll put it on there then. Nice. Anyway, Jobo, what's your goss? What are you up to tonight? What am I up to tonight? Uh, we're going to start dismantling our kitchen. Oh, really? You're yes. doing it a Saturday night. You know how to party. Well, we're just going to get it ready for when the builders come in on Monday. So we're starting to take a few things in. When does the Almost person who you sold it to come come pick it up? Tuesday. Tuesday. So that's all good. Got into a bidding war. Bought my daughter a new bike yesterday on Trade Me. That was my Friday night entertainment, closing at 8 o'clock on Friday night. So I, thought, I thought I've got this. It's it's sitting there. It was like 30 bucks. And 30 it was pretty, bucks for a bike? It's a pretty reasonable kid's bike. You know, this bike is probably retail value, probably close on 400. Yep. So you're thinking it's bike of the century. Sweet. Yep. And then it all kicks off. Bidding frenzy. A bit of a bidding frenzy. And uh, Where was your stop point? Did you write it down? No, I didn't. Uh, I stopped at a ha- – I had my auto bid to 102. Yep. And it eventually creeped up and got past that. And I turned I turned off uh, – I turned off the um, – turned off trade me. So I'm not doing it. And then about five minutes later, I thought, I'll just go back and have another peek there. Slapped on a cheeky final bid and uh, came in under the radar. They thought they thought they got rid of me. What did you get it in at? 117, which is pretty reasonable. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. Would have liked to have got it for 30 bucks. Doesn't it break your heart when something like that happens? Like if those other person, because I remember I bought my first car was a, what was your first car? Uh, Toyota Corona. And man, it was, 
it was a piece of junk, but it went from A to B, but it was a rust bucket. You can't do that anymore, can you? No, the times are tough for kids nowadays. I had a Mitsubishi Mirage. Yeah. It was a beast. It had a, it had a, it didn't have a turbo, but it had this, this lever that made you think you were going faster. All it did was got louder, but I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool. And it was a, it was a pigsty all the time. My McDonald's was always underneath my feet when I was driving. But, um, I remember I bought that at Turner's. And I, I was the only person there, and then somebody else turned up, and it cost me a thousand bucks just them turning up, mm. you know. And I, if that person didn't turn up, thousand bucks. Yeah. But I have to say, when it comes to auctions, I'm winning in life because when we <laughs> when we bought our house, we were the only person who turned up to auction. Nice. So that definitely worked in our advantage. So we nice. had we had negotiation power. When I sold my car, it got thrown in as a bundle of cars. My sister and brother and I were. My sister and brother and I were selling all selling our cars at the same time, yeah. and uh, these marginally dodgy dudes came around to buy. I think my sister's car and my brother's car. We said, "You buy those two, we'll throw this one in for free." <laughs> <laughs> I would have got fifty bucks for it. I was lucky; it was that. What, bad. What's, what's the best car you've had? Ah, current car, Subaru Outback. Oh, you like the Outback, do you? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, and you? You know, haven't had many cars, have you? No, because I went seven years without a car. Um, and in Christchurch, that's not you know it's not like a big city where you don't have a car. Yeah, but no. I made it work. Um, I have to admit, when I was a young man, and I was stupid, I bought a ten thousand dollars car when I was nineteen, and that was a lot of money back then. And it was a, a Civic, a Honda Civic, and it was a, a hatchback with a flat back, and oh, yeah, it yeah. was pretty cool. I have to admit, that car at that moment in my life, I thought I was pretty cool. And then the first night out, I went out. And uh, my mate spewed in it, <laughs> like really bad. So, so yeah. it's Saturday, Bevan. What do you got planned for tonight? We're off to a barbecue. We're off to a barbecue, and then I've got an early flight to Auckland in the morning. So, I can't be imagine it's a late night. We've got friends with kids, so um, and she's just found out she's pregnant again. So they're going for number three. Oh, I hope it's not twins. Imagine if it was. This happens a lot. Oh, oh yeah. twins. That would not be good. But um, so yeah, so we'll be go for a bit of a barbie. Not too late. Sweet. Anyway. I'm Russ. I'm Indo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Jumbo. Yeah. What are we going to do for the end of the year? We're going to just do what we normally do? Good Check point. I don't know. Then? Okay. We'll yeah. get, we'll don't, don't, re- know. Don't, don't repeat shows, but we get complaints. Yeah. We have to think of something. We'll, we'll think of something. Okay, guys. We'll catch up same time, same place next week.